everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the FearCast. My name is Kevin Foss. I am your host. I'm a licensed clinician specializing in OCD, anxiety, anxiety spectrum disorders. And the FearCast is a podcast dedicated to OCD, anxiety, anxiety spectrum disorders. Uh, all those things. It's a nice overlap, the fact that I specialize in those things and I'm going to yammer on and talk about those things for a really long time today. So thank you all for joining me. For those of you who are new to this, this is a podcast that's a question and answer based show where you, the listener, get to send me, the host, questions, queries about OCD and anxiety and anxiety spectrum disorder and treatment. Weird, right? But this is a, uh, this is, is going to be just like, this is going to be a fun episode. It's good, good group of questions, POCD questions, HOCD questions, general questions just about rumination and what is uh, egocentonic, what is egodystonic, things like that. The good questions this week. So thank you all for your patience from the previous week. Typically, everyone, I, uh, I try to release an episode every other week just as my schedule allows. However, this past week, I had to put that on hold because my entire life got thrown upside down. Everything, my, my, whole, my, my whole career just started crumbling down to the ground. Now, is that hyperbole? Absolutely. Is that what my brain told me? Yes. Um, the reality was is that my, my, uh, my private practice's website got some malware on it uh, somehow. I don't know how, but um, it, it got some stuff on it, and then Google shut it down. And then when I tried to fix it, or when I tried to have a company fix it, they deleted my whole website. So... I started freaking out. My brain went, oh, all those probably 100, maybe 100 plus hours that went into building that are, are now gone. And I'll be having to do that again to rebuild everything, write all my articles and find pictures and do all the background stuff. And oh my God, my world was falling apart. I was very upset. I was very upset. So all my waking hours, all my free hours were spent doing that. So moral of the story is I did not have time nor the energy to put something like this together. So thank you all for your patience. I am going to do my darndest to try to get um, uh, uh, episodes out um, at a normal pace. I've got some exciting interviews coming up, by the way. I hate to uh, you know shift subjects really quick, but I'm talking to some folks and we're going to try to line something up and I've got some fun interviews coming up. So stay tuned for all of that. Now, by the way, everyone, if you would like your question answered on a future episode, go over to fearcastpodcast.com. Uh, you can go to the submit a question link there, send me a question and I will read it, consider it and likely put it up on a future episode. So um, I think that's all I've got other than I hope everyone is doing well out there. Um, the, 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 there is end in sight, right? Anybody looking forward to the, uh, the the vaccination? I hope you all are, are considering it, thinking about it. Yes, I know there are concerns. Yes, I know there are questions. And and you know what? I, I don't have the, all the answers for it. We're all taking risks with the vaccination, and, and, and maybe we're going to get microchipped. You know what? Maybe it means that my, my, my hair is going to fall out at an earlier age. I, I don't know. But moral of the story is... I'm looking forward to getting it. My question with the vaccines or medication in general is always going to be, are the side effects worse than the thing itself? If they aren't, sign me up, man. I'll take it. So, all right. Anyways, without further ado, here are the questions. All right. So this first question comes from Dan. Dan says... 
You've covered RSGD, which is the subtype I struggle with a lot, especially the physical features of my girlfriend. One thing I get caught up on and can't find much advice on is a question I have about ERP in terms of focusing on your partner's flaws and agreeing with them, disregarding them or thinking, yep, whatever, she's not attractive enough, or yep, she's not the right one for me in a lighthearted way, that type of thing. I understand the concept and how it can work for the OCD sufferer, but I have trouble with the idea that I'm messing with her feelings or wasting her time or leading her on, or that it's not fair to her for me to be doing this, especially as while I feel like I'm going through all this, I don't treat her as she deserves. For example, my girlfriend has prominent crow's feet on her eyes, and I'm absolutely fixated on it. I find myself staring at them and obsessing about how I wish they weren't there among the other flaws I perceive in her. While I'm trying to disregard these thoughts, I can't help thinking that all I'm doing is stringing her along while I'm trying to figure my S out. He doesn't say S, but I'll edit that. Anyways, um, while I'm trying to figure my S out, in, and in the meantime, she's growing more and more attached to me the longer I leave it. She's moving jobs in two and a half months, which means moving house which in my mind leaves another nine months of commitment unless I do something about it now. Do you have any advice? He also adds in a later email, an accurate way to describe the, ex the experience of my relationship would be to imagine being at a crossroads. One route is to stay and the other is to go. However, choosing the stay route is in effect an illusion of choice because it brings me back to the same crossroad with the same decision circling my mind. All right, Dan. Thanks so much. And uh, I, I'm that that crossroads you described is 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 a really common sentiment that a lot of the clients I work with with ROCD experience. There's always that question of, well, should I stay or should I leave? Should I break up with them or should we stay together? Neither one feels right. Neither one feels accurate to how they feel or what they want. Generally speaking, they'll say, "Well, I, I want to stay with them," right? But they then they say, well, but what if I should leave? And their brain says, well, you should leave. And they go, yeah, but I don't really want to. But as you said, it, it, the, 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 the routes always, always seem to come back to that same question. And, and, and that's going to be the focus, is, is that process of the, the, the crossroads, right? The, the crossroads is the illusion. The idea that, that there is a crossroads or a decision that ultimately you have to make right now, that's the illusion, not, uh, uh, not which one are you going to choose. It's can you tolerate the, the question about the crossroads? Can you accept that there is that question and that we might make the wrong decision in a sense? It sounds like your rumination has also shifted, at least in part, from just the, 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 the basic physical features, which are super duper common within ROCD. And it also has then shifted over to uh, an, another, uh, uh, another obsession, which is, well, you know, if I'm staying with this person, am I ultimately going to be ruining her life? Both of them are butting up against the, the, the common fear with ROCD being that, you know, maybe I'm going to be with the wrong person. But now the obsession has kind of taken on a personal responsibility or hyper-responsibility. If you think about the hyper-responsibility cognitive distortion, that fear that you are going to be causing harm to this person and it is your responsibility to care for her needs and make sure that she is not emotionally hurt. The fear ultimately is essentially the same, that maybe something terrible is going to happen, and it's going to be your fault. 
you are the one who could decide whether or not you can be with the right person. And you could have been with the right person, except you stuck with her, the person with the crow's feet, the person who looks weird or has that flaw, and that you led her on this whole time. And how awful and how terrible would it be if you let this person believe that that you loved them and that you, that you carried on this relationship and they thought that you two are getting more and more intimate and connected and all the, all the nice things just to find out that it was a hollow sham relationship, right? Well, it, 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 it's a possibility. It's not a fun one. It's not the one that you like, but it's out there, right? Now, as you've heard me say before, we will never find someone who has everything, and we will not be everything for them. So with every relationship, whether you have ROCD or you do not, there's going to be a level of acceptance that needs to take place. And, and uh, as, as one writer calls it, rounding up in all relationships. And this also goes for the kind of behavioral stuff as well, not just for physical appearance, but also character stuff for, for an emotional connection just for all things. The person that you're with is not going to be every single thing that you've ever wanted. Now, there might be one person you could think of that's going to, that, that you may be listening that says, my partner has all the things. Great. I'm happy for you. You might be out there thinking that you have a friend who, who has it all and they're with their partner and they're, they're so much in love and they always have wonderful things to say about each other. That's great. I'm super happy for that couple. And you know what? That couple may be very, very happy, but I bet if you were to ask them, they'd probably say, well, you know, I wish they had other, per you know, I always imagined that I'd be with someone who is a little bit this or, or a little less of that. Um, and, and that's, and that's part of relationships. And even the happiest relationships, it doesn't mean that it's they are happy because they have found the, the unicorn out there that has all the things. But it's because they have acknowledged that, that they have a great many of those things. So many of those things that, that overshadow those other things that they perhaps don't want. And more importantly, I'd say most importantly, it's that they're not spending all their time evaluating all those other things that they don't like. In other words, they've chosen to focus on the things that they love or like, rather than focusing on all the things that they don't like or that they don't love, or in fact that they actually just really, really, really don't like. And there are going to be things like that in all of our partners. I have those. I am not great. I'll be the first to acknowledge that. And, uh, and my wife will also acknowledge that there are things about me that she doesn't like. And, and that's okay. But there are things that we can, then those are areas that we continually work on. And there are going to be some things that may not be able to be changed. Her crow's feet may never be able to be changed or gotten rid of. And you may never get to that point, Dan, where you go, you know what? I love her crow's feet. They're delightful. They're so wonderful. They look like a map of the city. I don't know. But you will have to, have to acknowledge that, that they're there, along with all the other stuff, along with all the other wonderful parts about them. So I'm going to be working on the basic premise that, that a core fear with this is that you are with the wrong person and that you're going to be stuck with this person. And similar to that or, or, or connected to that is that you're going to cause them all this harm. Now, the fear that if that is indeed the fear, being stuck with someone or committed to someone is a scary thought. 
and a lot and, and a lot of people have that right you've heard of people having cold feet before a wedding um, people having quote commitment issues now they they those can be related to a lot of different things sure but we can also think that that the idea of being stuck with the wrong person that's objectively terrible right if there was if there was a test that we could do that would find out if you were indeed with the right person or with the wrong person if you were with the wrong person but then had to be stuck with them forever yeah, that would make anybody feel anxious and uncomfortable. That would make me feel anxious and uncomfortable. But there is, but unfortunately, that test doesn't exist. Fortunately, also, that test doesn't exist. So the point about accepting the uncertainty about this person and about the future is going to be necessary and part of what makes a happy and functional and healthy relationship. So how do we learn to accept this relationship? How do we learn to accept the possibility that you are going to be uh, damaging them or harming them in, in the wrong way? They're damaging and harming them in some way. So as I mentioned previously about the, 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 the potential couples out there who seem to be so stinking happy, but um, you know, they, they, they ultimately have to acknowledge that there are things about their partner that they, that they don't really like, but they have chosen to focus on the things that they really do like. Now, I'll also acknowledge that they, they, if they don't have OCD, it's going to be a lot easier for them to acknowledge the thing that they don't like and then to kind of shift their brain over and think about something else. Now, easier for one person does not mean impossible for you. There are things that you focus on and there are things that you there are things that you choose to focus on rather that you can also choose to focus on other things. It won't stop your brain from bringing you a thought or having a thought just kind of pop up in your head, certainly of one that you don't really like. But we get the opportunity to choose whether or not we're going to actively participate in that thought. If you've listened to this show, you know about uh, active versus passive thinking. So, are you actively thinking about this thought? That usually comes in the form of ruminating, compulsive behavior, responding to it, trying to argue with yourself over it, all of that stuff, right? Whereas you and I can't control just the thought from popping up in our head. Those are the passive thoughts. Those are the ones that we can't control. And that's fine. We're going to have compulsive, or excuse me, we're going to have passive thoughts all day long. I'm having passive thoughts. I'm very distracted today. I'll be honest. So I'm having uh, uh, the thoughts pop up in my head throughout this podcast as I'm recording. And it kind of throws me off. And then I reshift back to this. And I have to sometimes intentionally reset back to this work, of uh, the work here of, of recording this episode. It, it, it's a task. It's, it's, some days it's easier than others. But to the point about ruminating, if you think about the, the OCD is trying to help pre prevent something bad from happening, right? In this, you've already outlined the things that you don't want to have happen. So your brain's then going, okay, how do we make sure that doesn't happen? Rumination is there, and we kind of justify our rumination by saying, okay, I can figure it out, and I can prevent this calamity. Well... The more that you think about it, the more we start to become more anxious, the more that we start to find more things to be anxious about. The process of ruminating usually, I'll say generally speaking, doesn't get us to where we think it's going to take us. It usually makes us feel more anxious and terrified and uncomfortable and uncertain. So the task of doing that, what you perceive is going to do is actually not going to help at all. Because you're kind of saying this. Your brain said, oh, there might be a problem with the relationship. And you said, oh, let's figure that out. And then your brain went through a bunch of things and went, well, I can't really find a problem. 
I mean, objectively, maybe reasonably, rationally, it went, okay, there's not really a problem here, right? Dealing with these two sides of our brain, the very objective, rational side and the very uh, uh, anxious, fear-based side of our brain. I can't really find anything. So it shifted over, or because your rational brain couldn't find anything, you went back to your feared side and went, well, get to work, find something. And it went, okay. So it dug a little bit further. And it went, we still can't find anything, but you still get that feeling of discomfort. Like, oh my gosh, well, something still isn't right. Well, because I have that feeling that says there's something not right, there must be something not right. So I got to keep digging. So you keep digging, you keep digging, trying to find the answer, trying to find the solution, trying to find the way out of it. And in the course of doing that, you keep getting into the minutia of things, getting into the past, getting into the potential future, getting into her appearance, your feelings, all those things and parsing things out and getting, and the more that we do that, we end up just finding more things that may be of concern. And we stretch the the, the definition of what it means to be a, a, a calamity or stretching the definition of maybe a problem. And in that stretching and in that rounding up sort of thing, we find things that we round up to be a problem because they are things that we marginally maybe don't love. I mean, I can't imagine that you love her crow's feet. You didn't see her from across the room and go, oh my gosh, those crow's feet. I just, I want to marry those crow's feet. I want to kiss and rub and caress those crow's feet. I wonder if I could like hide things in those crow's feet. They're so deep. Oh my goodness. You probably didn't have that thought and that's okay. But there's a lot of other stuff that you did think about. But because you didn't love them, you might say, oh, I don't, I don't like them. Okay, but there's a lot of stuff we don't like that we just kind of get used to. I don't like traffic, but we deal with it, right? I don't like when it gets super hot or super cold, but we deal with it, right? But your brain has kind of learned that it needs to eliminate all things. You need to be certain. You need to be like fully 100% there, right? Okay, so it finds anything and rounds it up to be a problem because it's marginally a problem, or you get the idea. So, one of the first things to do is to catch yourself in how you are ruminating about this process and, and what sort of solution you're trying to find. Has this process actually been beneficial for you or has it ultimately just kind of been useless for you? You're probably saying it's useless, but you say, but I can't stop myself from doing it. Well, the first step is to actively try to not do that. And by doing that, it's that we, that we take that risk to pull back from doing it, pull back from the ruminating, and then shift over into anything else. In the course of doing that, though, you're taking the risk. What if it means you, you don't get to the answer as to whether or not you should be with them? What if? What if you actually find out that you were just leading her on? That would be awful, right? That's the risk. And before I even get into that, one thing that you can do, and I bet you've done this before, is I want you to challenge that feared thought. So first, the feared thought is that story that your brain tells you about what's going to happen unless you do X. So in terms of the big OCD cycle, you've got the obsession. What if blank happens? Which leads to anxiety. Oh no, I don't want blank to happen. So in order to make sure that blank doesn't happen, or at the very least that we feel better, we do a compulsion. And that is something, uh, a, a overt, maybe external, or covert, internal compulsion. Something that we do to try to make sure that that the feared story doesn't happen or that we feel better. Now, once we find that thing, even marginally, our brain goes, oh, I feel good again. That feels good. I feel safe. Everything's, quote, fine. Now, what that does is it reinforces that thought, and it also shows 
your brain that it can't handle the ambiguity. It can't handle not knowing. So we, we just reinforce this inability to tolerate the uncertainty. So then whenever this uncertainty comes back, which it naturally will be there, because remember, there's no one perfect out there, right? So every time your brain comes back to this idea of imperfection or of causing harm or whatever it is, it will jump on it. And we'll say, oh my gosh, that was terrible. Remember how we couldn't handle that? Well, here's what we have to do to make sure that we get that feeling to go away, because that's what's most important here, right? Self, it's not. But that's what we try to do. So the first thing I want to do is to challenge that thought. So if that thought in part is like, you know, do you even like her? Do you, do you like her? I think you do. Well, overall, is this relationship working? Do others disagree with your relationship? Like, are they saying, bro, this is really bad. Dan, you should get out of this. It's terrible. Do you actively not like her? All of these questions are really getting at that worry that perhaps you're leading her on. I wonder what that doubt is. Is the doubt that you, you, don't, you don't love her as much or you don't think you love her as much as you think she loves you? Is it that you fear that you don't love her at all? Well, I mean, let's, let's be honest about it. Do, do you really not like her? Or is it just that, it fe- that that feeling is there and feels like you should be with somebody else? Now, this is all dangerous talk here because this is kind of what, this is your obsession, right? This is what you've been doing the whole time. But if you, have, if you haven't come to a conclusion on this, or generally speaking, you, you kind of come to the conclusion that, no, you do kind of like her and that, you know, things generally work out. And yeah, there are these other things, but, you know, you, you just keep going back to that uncertainty about the future. Well, then we want to trust that rational thought as best we can. Now, we trust it through action, not trust it through continually telling ourselves it's okay, right? If I'm afraid of driving, if I just keep telling myself driving is okay, but I never get in my car and drive, what was the point, right? I still have to get in my car and drive then. So, what I want you to do then is to refocus on the present of the relationship, the current, the, the stuff that's actually happening right now. So, one of the things you had said was, you're not treating her as she deserves. So, well, what does that mean then? So, I want you to evaluate what you're doing or not doing um, and to start doing what you ought to, as you said. Does it mean that you're, you're, not, you're, you're, you're withholding affection? Well, catch yourself when you're trying to withhold that affection and instead give her affection as you would, as if you liked her, as if you did feel that the relationship was going somewhere. That's going to feel uncomfortable because I guarantee that is going to trigger that feeling that maybe you're leading her on further and further digging yourself into this relationship. Great. That feeling is what we're tolerating, that feeling of uncertainty. Maybe you're doing something wrong, but we're working on not then paying any attention to that feeling. But if you've said, I want to be here in this relationship, so I'm going to be in here in this relationship. There are other exposures that might be helpful in this. Um, certainly scripting is a great one when it comes to relationship OCD. The 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 leaning into the relationship and doing things uh, for her that, that um, continue to build the relationship, that is certainly going to be an exposure in and of itself. But the other part is uh, scripting about how you're wasting her time, how you're leading her on, how 20, 30, 40 years from now, it, it will be discovered that it w- a test does come out and you are completely empty and devoid of love for her and that she ought to have been with somebody else. Um, 
a movie that I love for this, and maybe hard to find now, but it's a movie called Timer. The movie is about people getting a timer installed in their arm, and the timer uh, is a countdown for when they're going to meet their soulmate. Now, some people's it, some people's timer goes off. Now it goes off when they're in the presence of their soulmate. Now, some people's timer never goes off. Some people, uh, uh, some people, they count down to zero, and they look at that person and they go, "Really." them so it, it's a really good exposure for this and ultimately just to sit with this existential question of am i with the right person and it's i don't know but a a good rule of thumb when it comes to uh, rocd is to tend your own lawn now you, you've heard people say well the grass is always greener right in other words should i be with somebody else would somebody else be a better fit would i love them would i not find their crow's feet as horrendous or whatever it is um, or that other people are just so much more beautiful than my partner well the question then is or the, the idea of tending your own lawn is how can i build up my relationship as best as i can how can i invest in this relationship to make it really really good now that might be giving her the affection, giving her, treating her as you've said that you ought to. Again, that's going to be uncomfortable, but it's also going to be focusing on the positivity of the relationship, focusing on the things that are going to make it thrive rather than the things that you fear are going to make it fall apart and crumble. Then lastly, I'll say, and I know I've talked on this for, for a very long time, um, as part of that that commitment, you're saying, oh my gosh, if I need to do something now, because if not, we're going to move and she's going to change her jobs and it's going to be nine months of this. Don't think about the nine months. Think about today. Think about today. What can I do today to build up my relationship? What can I do today to, to resist thinking about how the, the relationship is going to completely fall apart? And instead, refocus on the positivity of the relationship, focusing on building up uh, the, the connection, saying something nice to her, showing her that you actually do like her, as I'm assuming you do, since you are obsessing about this. So Dan, thank you again for that question, and best of luck. All right, this next question comes from Matt. Matt says, I'm in my early 30s and I've been struggling with severe OCD. I'm married for 12 years with two kids, and I'm happy most of the time when I can be mindful and employ the rational brain. Your Underminer episode was good and spoke a lot to me since I self-sabotage a lot recently with my OCD. I've been dealing with ROCD, HOCD, and POCD at different times. It is as if my brain is trying to keep my attention on things that scare me. I've experienced an intense fear of shame and guilt for having sexual relations with women before I was married when I was back in high school. It has been so long, but it still hangs over me. My wife was a virgin when we got married, and I was not, which I feel awful about and remind myself of daily. When I'm not aroused, I wonder if I'm gay or not attached to her or something like that. When I am aroused, the intrusive thoughts sometimes come about other things and other people, like attractive coworkers or these old girlfriends from high school. This just generates more doubt about my relationship, if I love her, if I'm capable of love, etc. It can be anything and prevents me from being present in the moment. I'm not sure if I will ever be normal again, and I'm sad and terrified. I have a therapist, but they're not familiar with different OCD types, and an anxiety specialist is way too much money. I already looked into it. Insurance does not cover it. Once my therapist gave me an article about shame and mentioned a father who loved his daughter but took things, quote, too far, whatever that means. This brought up some random POCD thoughts 
that I never had before and am now fearful of doing anything that might hurt my own kids. So I often hyper-focus on hugs, when they sit on me, and so on, in order to avoid anything remotely inappropriate. I suppose my question after all this would be, can you talk about the doubt that comes with intrusive thoughts that are so often attached to ROCD and these other forms of OCD? All right, Matt. Oh, boy. I'm so sorry you're having to go through all of that, and thanks so much for the question. Um, to, to that point about not being able to find a therapist, this is that's exactly why I'm doing this podcast. I'm so happy that you found the, they found the show, and I hope that you are finding something that's beneficial in this for you and, and having it resonate with you. Um, for, all of, for all of you who are also wondering, um, the Underminer episode is a super early episode, episode 7. This is episode 62, so this legit was done in probably 20 probably 2019. So go back in the archives, you can find that one. So Matt, what I'm also going to recommend is you check out the episode from July 14th, 2020 on the Real Event OCD. So Real Event OCD is just a fun, fancy name we give to OCD, but focusing on th- on things that we actually did, but we ruminate about, and we ruminate about to try to take away some guilt or some shame, and we try to get to a place of certainty that we are still okay, that everything's going to be all right, that we're not bad, awful people, etc. I'm hearing a lot of that in, in your question. Specifically, I mean, you, you said when you got married, or you, you said you remind yourself daily that your wife is a virgin and that you are not. What is the purpose of doing that, Matt? What you're trying to get out of that, Matt? I mean, I, I, I get having the intrusive thought. If the thought pops up, I get it, right? That's what we're here to talk about, intrusive thoughts. But what do you do about it? Because you can't go back and change that. You can't go back and change the people you had sex with. You did. But but also, so what? What do you fear that that means about you? Is it that it means that you're this awful, terrible human? Is it Does it mean that you are, are, are actively trying to hurt people? Your, your wife, and you kind of, you knew that at the time, so you had sex with them, and so you knew it was going to piss off your future wife, or the, I, I don't know, I don't know. But I'd encourage you to think about, well, what's the purpose of beating yourself up? What are you trying to get at? I'd encourage you as well in that, and I know I'm getting ahead of myself, but to practice forgiveness for yourself. Can you forgive yourself for doing that? You can't get out of it. You can't change the past. Forgiveness, and you've heard me say this before, my, my, the definition of forgiveness that I love is no longer seeking punishment towards yourself or someone else for harms done. Now, the harm in this might be the, the, the possibility, kind of that, that existential harm that you caused your wife, potentially, if, that's, if it is considered that, right? You didn't, she was, she's a virgin, you're not, and that somehow harms her. Or that you violated some contract or so, social rule that you're supposed to have. Now, I get there's a lot of, there, you, you may be from a religious background where, where being a virgin on your, your wedding night is important, and I get that. But I also get, but, but I, I also get the importance of letting yourself go and letting the past be the past. You're not there. This is the reality that you're in. So the first thing would be to question how you're beating yourself up. You say you're bringing it up every day. What else do you do? What else do you say to yourself? What else do you do for to yourself? What do you what do you withhold from yourself? Is it positive affirmation? Is it is it 
love, affection towards yourself, acceptance towards yourself. You need to be able to resist the urge to beat yourself up and allow yourself to be you in the present moment and to, and to be happy again and to be uh, able and fo- be able to focus on the present. Now, I know, I know that's easier said than done, and that's something to process with your other therapist. Um, but that being said, t- to your other therapist, man, they picked a bad article. That, that, that the article about um, loving the daughter and took it too far, I agree. Whatever that means, was that supposed to be a cautionary tale article? Like, hey, by the way, don't get too close to your daughters because you could molest them. Like, what? I don't know what the point of that article was, but moral of the story is, or, or the end result, it sounds like, is that it messed, messed up the way that you were thinking about you. Ugh. Now, whether or not that was something intended to alleviate anxiety or not, it sounds like it did not. And and your, your brain is naturally going to focus on these sort of themes. You've thought about this before. Uh, Act, has a, Act has a great article. And I, forget, I forget which author talked about this, if it was Hayes or someone else. But this, the, a great article about this, or a great way to view ruminating, and especially when your brain starts to go on similar topics... And, and and choosing where you're going to put your attention and where you're going to put your energies within those thoughts is to kind of treat it like an old movie that you've seen before. So, so Matt, like what's a movie you've seen before? Like a lot of times. For a lot of people, it's like Star Wars or it's going to be like Harry Potter movies or, or um, like Airplane. It could be that. Like what are, what's a movie that you've seen? Notting Hill, if that's a movie that you've seen a bunch of times. I, I don't know. But the point is... You've seen it. If it randomly pops up, I mean, you know all the characters, the story arcs. Um, you know, if I were to show you a random scene, you could probably tell me what ha- what is happening in that scene, uh, what's what happened just before it, and what's going to happen, how it's related to other things, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. You know it. If I were to randomly pop a, a a a scene from that movie up that you've seen a bajillion times, would you need to go, Kevin? Leave it on. Don't change it. I need to make sure it ends the same way. Like, would you need to do that? I tend to think not. You've seen that movie a bajillion times. You know how it goes. It's old news. It doesn't mean that in this case you don't like it. It just means that you don't, you don't need to watch it. You know how it goes. Matt, you know how these thoughts go. You know how the POCD thought goes. You know how your compulsions work. You know where it's going to end up. You know what's going to happen. So in this, we take the risk. Maybe with maybe with me showing you Star Wars, maybe this is the maybe Star Wars is actually a bad example because I'll tell you, Lucas cannot stand to just mess up his his artwork. Ugh. Anyways, Disney owns it now, so we'll see what happens. But um, it, it's kind of like if, all right, uh, uh, it's ruining it because if I were to show you a random scene and there's a good possibility that there's a new scene that adds a little bit to it. So, all right, Star Wars is a bad example. Let's go with Harry Potter. If you were to watch Harry Potter, which I don't think they have like the weird director's cut where there's like another nine scenes in it or something like that. But, you know, you're not going to, you're not going to turn on one of those movies and get to the end and realize that, you know, Harry was the bad guy all along or something like that, unless you believe in that fan fiction. But, it's, it ends the same way every time. It's not going to change. 
this story for you, these feared stories about HOCD, ROCD, POCD, they, they end the same. When have you gotten to the end of it and going, you know what, I actually am super gay. Or when have you gotten to the end of it and gone like, you know what, kids are doing it for me. They've never gotten there, right? They always end in the same way. So we need to trust that it's going to end the same way. And that's the risk, right? Maybe this is the one time it doesn't end that way. Then what? And that sounds terrifying. But we need to take that risk because the more that you re, uh, as I mentioned in the previous uh, question, the more that you ruminate about it, the more that you reinforce to your brain that this is a problem that needs solving. We are holding back on that. That's the response prevention piece. So, doubt, though, is a hallmark of OCD. Questioning yourself, your intentions, your desires, and your future are common across every subtype. It's the, the I, I, I've mentioned this before, the lie that OCD spins to you is the way out of the obsession is by solving the problem. It is not about solving the problem because there's nothing to solve. The end or the, the way out of the OCD is in fact not solving the problem. It is instead learning the to, to tolerate the feeling of it. Okay, so again, it's not solving whether or not you are gay or in a bad relationship. It's tolerating the feeling of uncertainty about it. Because again, you've thought about this a bajillion times. Have you ever gotten to the right answer that's long lasting, that has stuck? I didn't think so. So instead, it's not about that. It's about sitting here and going, oh man, if that were true, that would be awful. But I don't know. And I'm going to live my life. I'm not going to do all these things that I'm, quote, supposed to do. Instead, I'm just going to keep going. So what I would love for you to do is to just spend some time thinking about what the, what the core fear is. What is the commonalities, the common grounds between all this? Again, is it that you're going to be a bad person? Is it that you're going to do bad things and hurt people? Is it that you are inherently deep down an impulsive weirdo and, or impulsive bad person, perhaps, and are going to do bad things? What is the verbiage that you use for yourself? But what is it that is, is the commonality with all of these? And then, in a sense, think about, well, what are the compulsions trying to save you from? I do my compulsions so that blank, so that I don't do, or so that it's not true that X, right? The goal of this in the ERP would be to hold back on that rumination and to say, all right, I don't want this core fear to be true, but I have to show myself that I can resist ruminating about that because ruminating about it won't solve the problem. That's, an, that's this big existential outside of me possibility, but ruminating about it won't get me closer to not making it happen or to not resolving it. It's, in fact, just going to make me feel more and more anxious. I don't know if that made any sense. I kind of got lost in my own statements. But it's to learn that you can actually live with that uncertainty. You're learning that you can deal without the rumination and without the compulsive behaviors or the checking, or the avoiding, or the examining, right? To that point, you kind of mentioned that you're self-sabotaging yourself, right? I'm curious about what that would mean for you, but I wonder if that means that you, you resist really engaging your marriage. You resist really engaging with your daughters because you, you fear that if you, if you keep engaging, you're going to be right on the cusp of something. And if you get too close or if you cross that invisible, ambiguous line, that thing's going to happen. So you self-sabotage. You say something, you pull back, you avoid, you cancel, you do something. And while it hurts, you go, I do it because it's keeping me safe. I'm, making, I'm keeping my daughter safe. I'm keeping my wife safe. 
What I'm going to encourage you then is to do the complete opposite of that. The rumination won't help. The avoidance won't help. But instead, I want you to live life taking that risk and to see what happens, to see if those things actually do happen, to see if that article about, quote, getting too close from your therapist, um, or not, not too close, excuse me, too far, you've gone too far, whatever that means, um, that, that to see if that happens, you'll, you'll, my prediction is this. When your brain says, Matt, you can't do this. If you do this a little bit, you're going to go too far. I'm predicting that nothing will happen. And that's just me. Of course, we take, we take calculated risks, right? Sometimes things do happen. Now, don't hear that as saying you're going to molest your daughters because that's the last thing that you want to do. And there takes a, there's a lot of decisions that need to be made for that to happen, right? There's a lot of decisions that need to be made in the course of a lot of these things. But, you know, we have to see what happens. And we have to take that risk. But overdoing exposures, when we can, excuse me, not overdoing them, when we can, over the course of doing exposures, there, that, that's how you say it. Over the course of doing exposures, we find and we learn that our feared outcome either doesn't happen or it's oh unlikely as to be impossible to happen or as to be something that just essentially won't happen. It doesn't mean that's never going to happen, right? If I'm afraid of dying in a car accident, I still can. Every day I could, but I haven't. It is essentially not going to happen. And I say that in quotes because it could, but I'm treating it as if it's not. Every day I could become a heroin addict. Now, there's a lot of decisions between now and becoming a heroin addict. I mean, step one, do heroin. I guess step two is find someone who sells heroin. I don't even think I know someone who sells heroin, which actually is a good problem to have, I'll say. But I'd have to find someone. I'd have to I'd have to go get money for it. I'm assuming they don't take a credit card. I'd have to find I'd have to go meet up with that person. I'd have to tell my wife I'm going to go do something and lie to her about it and go do it. I'd have to that whole time every single exit on the way to meeting that person, I'd have to decide to keep going and not get off. Right? There are a lot of steps involved with that step. I mean, the next one is, I mean, at some point I have to decide to inject myself with heroin. I'm really putting this together for myself for some reason. But there's a lot of things involved with that, right? Now, I don't know if I'm going to make those decisions, but you know what? I'm not going to ruminate about them. I'm just going to take the risk that maybe today's the day. And I'm going to, when given the choice, do something different. Now, what that means for you, Matt, is to hug your kids, snuggle them, kiss them, consider your consider whatever your compulsions are and do the complete opposite of them. If it says, don't hug your wife right now, hug your wife. If it says, man, don't get those snuggles from the kids, get them snugs, go snuggle that kid because those kids are getting older and they are not going to want to snuggle. All right. I'm looking at my two and a half year old. She's going to not want to snuggle soon. And as much as it's annoying to have her right in my face and try to lick my face, because she does that sometimes. I need to remember that's not going to happen. Anyways, that's a side note as to my existential point in life. But it's we do the opposite of what that compulsion is. Matt, take that risk. That's what's going to be... And, and take that risk and sit with that feeling of, of uncertainty. That's your way out. The way out is realizing that you didn't need to do those compulsions all along for nothing to happen. 
that's the that's the crux. So, Matt, um, I hope that answers either your question or at the very least your um, abstract question of just wanted to talk about the intrusive thoughts that come with ROCD and OCD in general. So, thank you again for that question and good luck. All right, this next question comes from Jill. Jill said, on and off for the last year, and a lot more recently, I've had this fear that I might be a lesbian, and I don't want to. I'm in high school. This thought just piped into my head one day, and I haven't been able to let it go, and it bothers me. This time last year, I could have told you without a doubt that I'm straight, and now it's like, are you? Are you just lying to yourself? Are you gay? And now I have so much anxiety, I don't know what to do. I'm panicking constantly, trying everything to convince myself that I'm straight, because in the past, I've never doubted it. I also don't think that I'm even questioning my sexuality. I just don't want to be gay. She puts this in all caps, this part. I get this look on my face when I think about kissing a woman and this feeling, and I don't like it, and I can't make it go away. I've tried talking to my parents about it, and I don't think they understand. I've always pictured myself with a man, and it used to make me so excited, but now I'm not feeling anything except anxiety. Also, I've always known what it means to be gay and just never given it a second thought until now. Sorry this email is all over the place, uh, but I'm all over the place, and I would ex- and I would appreciate it if you could get back to me. Thanks. All right, Jill. Um, yeah, the, the, the being all over the place uh, in your answer, well, first off, you don't need to apologize to me about being all over the place. I know your feels. I'm all over the place generally, and as evidenced by this silly rambling podcast of mine. But um, anyhow, the 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 rambling, or excuse me, the rambling, the, the being all over the place thing is 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 common, and it it gives me a little insight into how, what it feels like to be you. If your answer is all over the place, that means it probably feels like that. And you're scrambling to try to make sure that this thing isn't you. I'm struck by your, your sentence. I don't even think that I'm even questioning my sexuality. And then this is the all caps part. I just don't want to be gay. And she put four exclamation points. Jill, you put four exclamation points there. I, I, I really, this, this sounds very, very common and consistent with folks who have HOCD. When I talk with folks, they generally go, I don't, I don't want to be gay. It's not like, well, you know, I've, you know, kind of deep down, I've really kind of been turned on by this, or used to masturbate to this, or, you know, things of that nature. It's that, um, it's they go, I've never even thought about it. It just wasn't part of my mind. Then all of a sudden, it's a thing. And, you know, it's not like, it's, it's generally speaking, I, I haven't worked with anybody where it's, you know, this, um, uh, life of suppression where they it was it was there but they did everything they could to try to stuff it down it's that they just never really thought about it and now all of a sudden they do and that's kind of indicative of a lot of obsessions i never really thought about my relationship until this i never really thought about how dirty blank was i never really thought about driving until all of a sudden this but the all of a sudden this and now all of a sudden think about this that's really consistent with OCD and really uh, consistent with uh, rumination. Joel, the first thing that I would say is if you have a chance, try to get connected with a therapist uh, who specializes in this or try to work with a therapist who at the very least is open to going through 
uh, an OCD related book or a workbook with you, um, that might that might help you get a handle on this obsession and something and, and getting a direction on where you can go. Um, trying to also look into ROCD or see, oh, gosh, I've answered too much ROCD today. Um, looking into HOCD related books or podcasts or articles um, as as to trying to get some tips on some things that you can do. The one thing that I would recommend that you do, one thing that you can do is actually go back in, in, in the FearCast uh, um, archives. Uh, if you go to fearcastpodcast.com and if you go on the right side of the page, there's going to be like a, like a cluster of a bunch of different words and some are bigger, some are smaller. If you find ones that say, if you find one that says HOCD, click on it. Uh, or uh, I don't think I ever put gay OCD or sexual orientation OCD, but you can, if I put those there, click on those two, uh, that will highlight all the articles or all the episodes that, uh, that dealt with HOCD. That might be helpful. There might be some stuff in there that could be super helpful for you. But with all types of um, with OCD, what we're really going to be looking at again is what is the fear? What is the feared story? What's the, what's the, what's the worst case scenario for you? Sometimes with the with with uh, um, gay OCD, with sexual orientation OCD, HOCD, whatever you want to call it, um, that fear is well, what if I'm with the wrong person down the line? For some, it's what if I don't know who I really am, because being gay is a, a, a whole different person, right? I say that sarcastically. I don't know if you could tell, but it's this worry of like, oh my gosh, then who am I? Because I've been straight my whole life, and now all of a sudden, the up is down, black is white. Dogs and cats living together, all of that. And it feels like it's this big, crazy change in your life. So it feels like we have to ruminate about it to make sure that, that's, that I know who I am. Now, it may be related to, you know, what if you are with the wrong person. Um, but what, what I'm hearing in this is, I don't know me. So we can say, well, one thing to look at, let's say that is the fear, is to sit with the unknown with that. Maybe I don't know who I am. Maybe I'm going to continue to discover who it is that I am. What if I find this new thing out about myself? Wouldn't that be interesting and fun and exciting and different and new? I mean, it could be terrifying as well, but it's to say, I don't know what's coming or I don't know what's coming out. So I had to, had to, I'm sorry. But it's, it's to say with your, when your brain gives you this thought to then sit with the unknown and to go, you know what? I'm not going to try to fix it right now. I know my brain says, well, I don't want to be gay and I don't want to be gay. And you know what, Jill? I don't want you to be gay either because it doesn't sound fun for you and ain't nothing fun about being something that you don't want to be, right? So, it's not to say that I don't like gay people or don't want people to be gay, but I want people who want to be gay to be gay and people who want to be straight to be straight. But if there's something more convoluted in that, and I'm sure there is, and I'm sure I'm going to get hate, hate email for this conversation, um, but there's there can be stuff to work out, right? Who knows what's going on? That's why working with a therapist is going to be helpful. But what I would love for you to do, Jill, is when this thought comes up, to acknowledge, huh, there's that thought again. There's that gay thought again. Hmm. Thanks, brain. Thanks for that thought. It's not my favorite. I don't like that one. I like all the other ones. But I'm going to leave it there. And I'm going to see where it goes. Because we're learning that the out of this, the out of OCD, isn't through solving the problem but is through tolerating the anxiety and the ambiguity of the anxiety. It's tolerating the unknown. Maybe I am. Because you're not saying, I know that I'm gay and I don't like it. You're saying, I don't want to be. Great. So, 
sit with that feeling, the I don't want to be. Until you are 100% without question gay, then we can have a different conversation. But until then, it sounds like you're not, you're not 100% certain. You're like, oh no, what if I am? What if I am is not I am? What if, it, what if I am is not, well, what if my sexuality is shifting and changing? It's you're saying, I don't want to be. Great, then don't. But also then don't spend all that time trying to fix it. Now, to that point, though, doing exposures can be really helpful for this. Simply starting with just the word gay, writing the word gay can be enough for someone. I'll, I'll sign my clients, write the word gay a hundred times every single day. Say it a hundred times every single day. Gay, 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 gay. Are there other words? Homosexual, homosexual, homosexual. Are there other words that are more ambiguous, right? Queer, queer, queer. Are there offensive terms that sometimes your brain comes up with? Write those words. You're leaning into the having the concept of homosexuality, of being gay in your mind. And then you can graduate to things like, I'm just writing the phrase or saying the phrase, I might be gay. It's just a phrase. It's just a thought, right? I mean, again, I could write down, I'm a, I, I might be a murderer. Now, you're only a murderer when you kill someone, right? I'm not a murderer yet because I haven't killed someone, but I might be. I might become one. I could. So simply saying the word, I might be gay, or simply the phrase, I might be gay, can be helpful in then sitting with that feeling and letting that feeling subside by at least half, right? Come down by at least half. And then once you've done that, you can graduate to the phrase, I am gay, and sitting with that feeling. And it's going to feel uncomfortable because, again, it's the last thing that you want. But remember, saying something doesn't mean that it's true, or saying something enough doesn't mean that it's going to be true, right? That's that thought action fusion we've talked about in the past. Just because I say I'm a millionaire doesn't make me a millionaire, nor does it guarantee that I'm going to become one. It just means that I'm saying something. So I might be a millionaire. I might be a billionaire, right? Same thing with I might murder, I might kill and eat my dog tonight. I can say that 150 times a day. It doesn't mean I'm going to do it. It just means that I've said something. Your brain is equating the thought with the action, the thought with the fact. They're not the same. So, we're practicing sitting with that phrase because that thought is there. And now that is something, that is an exercise that you intentionally do when you're not already feeling anxious. You want to be engaging that story. And if your anxiety comes up, which it probably will, we're going to tolerate that up in the anxiety and we're going to stay with it and let that anxiety comes down on its own without doing compulsions to force that feeling out. But after you say those phrases a hundred times, go, okay, I feel this kind of anxiety. It feels uncomfortable and tingly and tight and uncomfortable and blah, I don't like it. All right, that's great. Now I'm going to go ride a bike or go watch a movie or juggle or I don't know, whatever it is that you do, Jill, but go do that and then sit with that feeling. And, and know that as you go do that other thing, that feeling is probably going to subside and go away eventually. Sometimes, probably sooner than you expect. But when that thought naturally comes up, we don't need to do anything about it. We're showing ourselves that it doesn't mean something to you by doing nothing about it. Intentionally doing nothing. It's, as I used to say, or I am going to say now, it's the active step of doing nothing. It's something that we can do, or we can do the active step of doing anything else, but not solving the problem. That's what we're trying to do. So, uh, Jill, I hope that helps. I hope that kind of gives you a little bit of a direction and something to think about. Um, and again, I apologize if I'm all over the place, but we will be all over the place 
together. So, Jill, thanks so much. All right, this last question comes from The G. That's all they say is the G. All right. They said, I just heard your latest episode where you answer uh, Jake and Joe's question. In that episode, you spoke about ego dystonic and ego syntonic thoughts. Following up on that, what if your obsession is on that, not knowing if they are ego dystonic or ego syntonic? The intrusive thoughts cause anxiety, so we take relief that they are ego dystonic. But what if they are, what if they are ego syntonic in the end? The question always ends up coming back when we are back in the loop. How can one overcome this question? It feels like one doesn't even know themselves anymore, as it's a simple question that one can't answer. What is assumed to know what they like and what they don't like? How can one ever be sure? I'm sorry if this question is weird and long. Trust me, the G, that was the shortest question in this whole episode. So... First off, thanks so much for that. Now, for those of you wondering, the Jake and Joe question is from episode 50. Uh, I, the, you should listen to it. It's super funny. I think it was funny. But um, the question is about what the, the Jake and Joe, two theoretically different people, were watching both watching gay porn, and they said it was syntonic, meaning that they liked it. And then they were questioning whether or not they were gay, leading to HOCD. But they didn't say they, they, they didn't they weren't gay, they didn't weren't identifying as gay, but they had watched gay porn and were actively enjoying it, but then questioned whether or not they're gay, but they said they weren't gay, etc. Anyways. All right. So, folks, um, so, the, so this is kind of a secondary obsession for a lot of folks, right? So the, the primary obsession is the, kind of the, the, the core, the root of the problem or the perceived problem or what the thing is. And then the secondary is, am I, is how I'm obsessing about it. What is the, um, what is the quality of my obsession? Right, so questioning whether or not what I'm obsessing about is egocentric or dystonic can be absolutely its own obsession. And kind of that question is, well, well, if I'm wrong with that, well, I must be wrong with the initial fear, and therefore the initial fear must be right. All right, what is ego dystonic and ego syntonic? So those are the fancy terms for basically being consistent with me or not consistent with me. Ego syntonic, so syntonic, so think about like symphony. Right, it's a it's a it's a good cohesive sound, and it, so it, it it works well and is consistent with my self, right, with my ego. Ego dystonic is is something that is completely against who it is that I am. It's also called ego alien, which means that is a, it is it is outside of myself. It's outside of who I typically and consistently am. All right. So again, these are really just terms that just make make us sound fancier and, and smarter than we actually are. But it just means: is this consistent with me or not consistent with me? But it sounds like for you, the obsession for whatever it is has shifted into again: do I not know myself, or do I know myself? Um, similar to the previous question, right? So we have so some folks will have this basic assumption, and you are expressing this basic assumption. It's ultimately wrong, but we'll get there. Um, it's the basic assumption that we are all just supposed to know ourselves. We all know what we like. We all know what we don't like, and it's just a given. It's almost a, there's an element, and I hate using this term because of how politically charged it is, but there's an element of entitlement that we just know. It's a foregone conclusion. This is who I am, and I know myself, etc., etc. And I should not, therefore, then have thoughts, urges, or experiences that run counter to who it is that I am. There can be this anger that comes from this. There can be this, this 
a, a d- disappointment with it. There can be this, there can be this offense that comes from experiencing or thinking something that is egotistonic. Like, how dare I? And and that that feeling of like incredulousness um, can can therefore be its own obsession. Um, I've certainly noticed that with my clients. I was just listening to an OCD stories with um, uh, Stevenson. Philipson? Philip Stevenson? Forgetting his name. Doesn't matter. Um, I'm going to try to have him on the podcast at some point, but um, don't tell him. He doesn't know yet. Anyways, he, um, he was talking about that with, um, with somatic obsessions, that there almost is this element of, of entitlement that we, that, and incredulousness that we just shouldn't be aware of our obsessions, right? Or, or aware of our various sensations, the eye floaters, the physical sensations, the, the breathing, the blinking, etc., so, the, but but the reality is that sometimes you and I, the G, we we have thoughts and feelings that we just don't like, and sometimes we have things that we discover that we do like, and we have things that we discover that down the line we really just don't like them, and that's okay. We are growing and developing in our understanding of ourself, and that's okay. This idea that um, that we all just that we all just know what we like and don't like. We're changing people. I'm willing to bet the G that there's stuff that you like now that you did not like when you were 10. I don't know how old you are, the G, either, but you know what? Sometimes we change our mind. And that's great. Aren't we all glad that we're not the same people we were when we were 10? Right? We're growing and developing people. It also doesn't mean that we are then entitled to not get thoughts that aren't us. Our, that's what our brain does. It gives us stuff to think about. And sometimes it's going to be off mark or sometimes it's going to experiment and throw some you know, curveball at you. Because sometimes we go, oh, I never thought about it that way. Now that phrase, I never thought about it that way, could be eye-opening. Oh my God, I never thought about it that way. That's amazing. I should try that. Oh my good. And it could also be, I never thought about it that way. That is devastating. It can go the other way, right? But that's good. That's what our brain should do. But we can't get locked into this like expectation. Now, to, to your previous point, like, what if we find out something that, uh, that is dystonic but ends up being egosyntonic in the end? Now, for a lot of folks, that can be things like, well, um, you know, get, let's go with gay thoughts, right? All right, I don't like these gay thoughts, but what if they become egosyntonic? Or what if they are egosyntonic really deep down? right? It is still just another compulsion of the original obsession. You're just calling it by a different name. You're still trying to figure out whether or not you're actually gay in that case. Or ROCD. Well, what if my thoughts about my partner, um, actually, this is really common with ROCD. What if my thoughts about my partner are real? Like, I don't like them, but I also don't like the idea of breaking up and starting new or divorce or splitting up my whole family or whatever it is, right? What if I actually discover that I like I'm just don't I just don't like them, and I need to be with a different person. I mean, that's a lot of stuff, right? But you're going, well, what if I end up discovering that that thought is actually egosyntonic? Well, here's the thing. Your compulsion that's wasting you time is thinking about whether or not it's syntonic. It's still it's still its brand new obsession. It's still a brand new uh, set of compulsions. With that one, we again, we back off of it, and we discover that we actually don't need to know the answer right now. You say it's egotistonic right now? Great. 
Let's leave it at being egotistonic and just say, for right now, I don't like this. For right now, this isn't who I am. But I'm going to hold that loosely. Maybe in a year, two years, two months, 20 minutes, it's going to become syntonic. Boom, syntonic. Great. When it becomes syntonic, the G, you and I will deal with it. And we'll talk about how to incorporate that in your life and how to adapt to it and how to explain that to people. But it's not syntonic yet. We haven't discovered that that's true. So why are we wasting time about it? I have both my legs right now. But what if I lose one? Then what? Well, then I've got to get a wheelchair. Then I've got to get a prosthetic. I better figure out where all the best prosthetics are. I better go online and find out the one that I like the most. How do you walk with a prosthetic? What does it feel like to have phantom limb syndrome? You following what I'm saying? I ain't there yet. You're not there yet either. So why are we going to waste our time trying to figure it out? Instead, there's the, but for you, I recognize there is, there's a sense of urgency to figure it out. You and I don't care about losing a leg. We do, but like, not like this, right? For this, we're sitting with the, ur- that, the feeling of urgency and resisting the urgency. It's that feeling again, right? Sit with that feeling. Ooh, I don't want that to become syntonic. Okay. But I'm not going to figure it out because I ain't there yet. I'm here. I'm in this moment. Well, it might become syntonic. But until then, what can I do with my life? And how can I tolerate the not knowing the answer about whether or not it's syntonic until it is or it isn't? Right? What, what, what do I want to do? Do I want to spend all my life figuring this out? Because the G, what if it never turns out to be syntonic? You will have wasted your time. If it becomes syntonic, well, then we'll deal with it, right? We'll deal with it when we cross that bridge. But we're not there yet. So what I want you to do is when that thought comes up, go, maybe it is. Oh, I hate admitting that, but maybe it will be, but it's not right now. And then I want you to shift and go do something else with your time. You can even spend some time accepting that feeling by focusing on it. Notice where it is in your body. We're not cultivating and saying, I have to feel it. I want to feel it. Give me more of it. But just saying, all right, this is what my body feels. It feels uncomfortable. It feels tight. It feels wibbly wobbly. It feels uncomfortable. (sighs) Continue to breathe during all that. Relax your body and just go, this is how this feels. Okay, this feeling in my body is all right. I can survive having this feeling and I'm capable of tolerating it for as long as it's going to be there. And I can sit here feeling this way and I can keep driving to work. And I can sit here and feel this feeling and watch a movie. It's not fun, but it's doable. That's the reality of it. We're learning that it's doable and survivable without knowing. So, the G, I hope that helps. I hope that answers the question that you were asking. If you have a follow-up to that, feel free to uh, uh, send me another email. Go to fearcastpodcast.com and let me know there. So, again, thank you so much for your question. All right, everybody. Thank you for holding out on this long episode. I, sometimes I just I get these questions. I put my little outline together and I just start talking and I just... Don't stop talking. So, thank you all for holding out with me on that. Um, everybody, uh, uh, if you again, if you have questions for, if you have questions that you would like in a future episode, go to fearcastpodcast.com and send me a message there. If you also have a follow up to some of these questions, perhaps I missed something, um, message me there as well. Because if you think that there's something that I completely blundered 
or completely missed or just you want to add something else, let me know. I'd love to hear what your thoughts were. If you experienced some of this stuff and you found a way out of it, also let me know. So everybody, um, if you like the podcast, uh, please rate it, review it. Um, uh, that is the best way for other people to find that. I'm notoriously bad at advertising and I actively don't in a number of different ways. But um, y'all, if you found this episode to be helpful, if you find other episodes to be helpful, let someone know about that. And the best way to do that is whatever format you're listening to this on, go over and um, write a review, give a like, give a star, give a thumbs up, whatever the thing is. And that will help other people to find it. It helps the algorithms and get to the top of things, etc. So um, it means a lot to me, everybody, that you you would take the time to listen to this episode and listen to any of these episodes. So I appreciate uh, uh, all of you. So, um, all right, I feel like that's that's enough for one day. Um, everybody, uh, please remember the Fearcast is not a substitute for psychotherapy. If you have a question about or, or getting started in therapy, uh, go over to fearcastpodcast.com, go over to the Find Help link, and you can find some. Uh, helpful tips and tricks and, and links there. So, all right. Until next time, everybody, take a risk, challenge yourself, and don't take your brain too seriously. Bye.